Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This is the 25th day of Christmas. It's Christmas. We made it. <laughs> this is our last day of Podmas, where we've been putting out an episode every day in the lead up to Christmas. Oh man, we made it. What have we got today? Today, we have Netflix 293rd film from 2020. It's the historical legal drama called The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is directed by Aaron Sorkin and stars Yahya Abdul-Manteen II, Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Flaherty, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, John Carroll Lynch, Eddie Redmayne, Noah Robbins, Mark Rylance, Alex Sharp, and Jeremy Strong. I'm Jesse. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me on your very special Christmas day. I'll try not to take up too much of your time because I know you probably want to be spending it with your family, but if you're listening today, thank you. If you're listening later, this was a, a crazy month where we put together an episode every day for the 25 days of December for 2023, and we've made it. You can probably tell I'm, I'm exhausted. This has been a, a big challenge. But we do have this film to talk about today, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So if you're keen on checking this film out, give us a pause and come back later on. I'm guessing you may have seen it. It was a big film when it came out. We kick off our show with the fast flicks where we do a quick little summary of what the film is all about. So this one is about the trial of eight men accused in 1968 of criminal conspiracy and crossing state lines to incite a riot. This is a big film. There's lots to talk about with this film. So I guess we'll start off translations around the world. The In Chinese, this is called The Chicago 7, Shocking Trial, nice title. Other than that, around the world, they've stuck with the tr- trial of the Chicago 7. The tagline for this one was in 1968, democracy refused to back down. And that's a big key in this film. How did it end up on Netflix? So Aaron Sorkin, he stated to Vanity Fair in July of 2020 that he first found out about the planned film of this during a visit to Steven Spielberg's home in 2006. He said that Spielberg told him he wanted to make a movie about the riots of the 1968 Democratic Convention and the trial that followed. He also added that he had no previous knowledge of these events, stating, I left not knowing what the hell it was about. We then jumped to July of 2007, where Sorkin wrote the script Executive producer Spielberg, Walter F. Parks, and Laurie McDonald collaborated on the development of Sorkin's script, with Spielberg intending to actually direct the film. In 2007, Spielberg approached Will Smith for the role of Bobby Seale and planned to meet with Heath Ledger about playing Tom Hayden, so some other big names were attached to this film. The Writers Guild of America strike, which started in November of 2007 and lasted 100 days, delayed filming and the project was suspended. Sorkin continued to rewrite the script for Spielberg, and the director intended to mostly cast unknowns to keep the budget down. We then have to go all the way to July of 2013, where it was announced that Paul Greengrass would direct the film, but he exited the project two months later when a budget couldn't be agreed upon, and it sort of stopped in its tracks. In a July interview in 2020, Vanity Fair reported that Spielberg had decided to resurrect the trial of the Chicago 7 Um, a year and a half ago. So we go back to October of 2018 where Sorkin was announced as the director of the film. In December of 2018, the film was put on hold again due to budgetary concerns until it was revived and ready for a distribution offer with Paramount Pictures initially picking up distribution rights as the film was excluded from Spielberg's Amblin Partners distribution deal with Universal Pictures. Sorkin told Variety, Spielberg saw Molly's Game, a film that Aaron Sorkin directed himself, and was sufficiently pleased to suggest that I direct Chicago 7, and Donald Trump was elected. At his rallies, Trump started being nostalgic about the good old days beating up protesters, and the movie became relevant again. 
At that time, I had no idea how relevant it would come with the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. Sorkin was in post-production on the film, The Trial of Chicago 7, when anti-racism protests started sweeping America following the police killings of Taylor and Floyd, and he told Entertainment Weekly that he made changes to the film to add quick cuts to crime scene stills from Hampton's killings, police stills, black and white photos of the bullet holes in walls, bloodstained mattresses, five police officers smiling, standing there, and adding the sound effects of a camera shutter. And now the world of Rayshard Brooks and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd having those shots and having one of them be police officers obviously resonates today. So tying in what happened in 1968 to what was happening in current America in 2020. In an appearance on NPR's Fresh Air, director Aaron Sorkin told host Terry Gross that he'd had to edit Judge Hoffman's character significantly to play down the true extent of his arrogance and irrationality on the bench, as documented in court records. Asked why he'd done this, and Sorkin said he feared that to portray the judge's behavior as it actually was would strike the audience as implausible, resulting in the movie being dismissed as propaganda. It's crazy, because he is over the top in this film, so it's really nuts that they actually downplayed his role of how bad he was. Um, Tom reads the names of fallen soldiers at the end of the film, but the names were actually read in court by David Dellinger. And this happened four months before the trial um, ended and not at the end, as it was depicted in the film. Dellinger was stopped reading the list by Judge Hoffman, um, but an argument did ensue as well. Principal photography for this film was set to begin in September of 2019, but was held off until October, and they filmed in Chicago and New Jersey. The trial of the Chicago 7 was originally scheduled by Paramount Pictures to begin a limited theatrical release on December, sorry, September 25th of 2020, before going wide on October 16th, 2020. On June uh, the 20th of 2020, due to theaters being closed around the world because of the COVID-19 pandemic restrictions, it was reported Netflix was in negotiations to acquire the rights to the film. So on July 1st, 2020, Netflix officially closed a $56 million deal to distribute the film. Although Netflix doesn't publicly release the box office results of the films, Deadline Hollywood reported that the film averaged about 10 per, sorry, 10 people per show at the 100 theaters it was playing at in opening weekend. Upon its release on Netflix, it was the second most streamed film over its debut weekend, which IndieWire called higher than usual for a more serious entry from Netflix. It finished in 10th the following weekend, and in November, Variety reported the film was the eighth most watched straight to streaming title of 2020 up to that point. In March of 2021, Variety reported the film was among Netflix's most watched Oscar nominated films that year. So quite a big story about this film and how it ended up on Netflix. So as previously sort of mentioned, this had a limited release in theaters from the 25th of September, 2020. It hit Netflix worldwide on the 16th of October, 2020. This was had a budget of about $35 million. Apparently about 11 million of that was to cover the cost of the cast. Um, it took in about $115,000 at theaters over its limited run. The awards, this had 57 wins and a further 192 nominations across uh, award season. It appeared on 39 critics year end top 10 lists, including first place on three. The film earned six nominations at the 93rd Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Supporting Actor for Sasha Baron Cohen and Best Original Screenplay for Sorkin. It further received three BAFTA nominations for Best Film, Best Original Screenplay and Best Editing. At the 78th Golden Globe Awards, it uh, received five noms, including Best Motion Picture for Drama and one for Best Screenplay. At the 27th Screen Actor Guild Awards, it won the award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture 
And this is the only Best Picture nominee for 2020-2021 that did not actually win any Oscars. So crazy little stat there. Critics, audiences, what are they saying? On Rotten Tomatoes, this sits at 89% on 343 reviews. That is certified fresh. So very, very positive there. The audience, pretty much exactly the same, sits at 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's on more than 2,500 ratings on IMDb, a 7.7 out of 10 on 190,000 ratings. Again, very high. Letterboxd high again, 3.7 out of 5 on 303,000 ratings. Actually been logged by 420,000 people. Wow. Metacritic, 76 out of 100 on critic reviews. That is green. And the audience at a 7.5 out of 10 on 275 reviews, also green. So our summary is very, very positive all round for this film. What are my early thoughts? I watched this uh, when it first came out and I really enjoyed it. I remember really enjoying it. It was during lockdowns. It was impactful at the time with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's still relevant today. This is a great film. This, this is one you've got to watch if you haven't seen it. Let's talk about the characters. This is hard. There, there are so many characters in this film. Um, all of them play a varying role into what happens. We've got to talk about Tom Hayden, who's played by Eddie Redmayne. He's the leader of the Students for the Democratic Society. He comes across as the one that you're not meant to like because he's prim, he's proper. He wants to follow the processes of the law, do the right thing in court. Um, and obviously, you know, in, in these types of films and this type of character, you've got to see some sort of arc and some sort of turnaround. And we do see that at the end of this film. My favourite character is uh, Abby Hoffman, played by Sasha Baron Cohen. Hilarious. He's, he's one of the founding members of the Youth International Party, alongside Jerry. Um, you know, we, we see cuts to his stand-up uh, at various stages that helps progress the narrative of the film. He's the funniest. He's the most memorable character. You know that he clearly wants to end the war, and he does this through humour. Very, very good character. Rennie Davis, he's the, one of the organisers for the National Mobilisation Committee to end the war in Vietnam. He plays a big role in... in uh, actually one of the riots starting or some of the, the, the protests are sort of invigorating a little bit. David Dellinger is the leader of the National Mobilization Committee to end the war in Vietnam. He's, he's a family man. He's a pacifist. He doesn't want to riot. He's the one that, that's got the, the kids and the wife and, and he you know, obviously reflects on how his actions impact them. Bobby Seale, probably one of the most impactful characters in this film. He's the, the chairman of the Black Panther Party. Is an African American who was who was put into this trial with the other members to to make them look bad. That's that's almost his own words. He's falsely accused. He's treated so poorly, uh, as well as Fred Hampton, who's also from the Black Panthers. He's like a support there in the courtroom for him. Um, but their connection creates further distrust from the judge, and and you know he's not allowed to have a lawyer. He's not allowed to stand up for himself. He's not allowed to represent himself. He doesn't want to join the others. He wants to be sort of you know separate separated from them because he wasn't actually there. So, uh, you know, a really sad, sad story in his character. Um, William Kunstler, he's the defense counsel. He works with the, all these guys. He works alongside Wineglass. Uh, he gets more and more frustrated as the trial goes on. He really has no chance to properly defend his clients. So you can feel his frustration. And then Schultz is on the other side. He's the, the federal prosecutor or the assistant. He's it's almost forced into taking this job. Um, I think it's sort of made out that he doesn't really believe the charges and he sort of looks out for poor people when he's out with his kids and off tells them to go give them money and things like that. But apparently in real life, that wasn't the case. So I'm not sure why they made those choices to change his character. And then Julius Hoffman, the judge, uh, I don't really want to talk about him. What, what a horrible human being. Just, just to consider that he's elected as one of the law representatives in a country that is so based on the democratic right and freedom of speech that he could rule a court the way he ruled a court was just... Very, 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 very frustrating um, and very sad. 
uh, director, Aaron Sorkin, only has three directing credits, really. This this film, Molly's Game, which I mentioned before, and Being the Ricardos, which starred uh, Javier Bardem and Nicole Kidman a few years ago and, and was nominated for a few Oscars then as well. He's best known for his work on The West Wing, the TV show. I think he directed 155 episodes. He's written um, the screenplay for Charlie Wilson's War, The Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs, the TV show, The Newsroom, A Few Good Men, The American President. So this guy has a really good back catalogue of films and often related to um, politics or, or courtroom scenarios as well. What are some scenes that I enjoyed? What are some things that stood out in this one? I think the opening scene with all the real live footage of Vietnam, the draft, lottery, um, LBJ, Martin Luther King, napalm bombs, all that sort of stuff. It really set the scene for the time frame we were in. So that was really well done. Uh, the first meeting Schultz has with Mitchell and being told that he's taking the case on if he wants a career. That was done really well across a table. Abby rocking up to court for the first day, just stoned. That was funny. Abby's moments are the funny moments to sort of break up the seriousness of, of how ordinary this situation was. Um, Hoffman, the judge, distinguishing himself from Abby because Abby has the same surname, Hoffman, as him. Uh, it was quite funny because Abby's like, you know, they won't mix us up and everyone in the courtroom laughs. And um, then he's like, you know, just to be clear, we're not related. And he's like, oh, father. <laughs> it was just funny, really funny. Um, Abby asks Tom if he got a haircut for the judge. That was also funny, as well as Abby saying, you know, he's trying to get a permit to to have this protest. And he's like, I'll call it off if you give me $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> that was also funny. Uh, Abby in court wearing robes as a homage to the judge. And then the judge likes, take them off. And he takes them off and he's got the police officer uniform underneath. That was uh, funny as well as, you know, another contempt of court charge. Uh, the whole Bobby being taken to a room and dealt with. This this is, this is was horrendous. Um, he was beaten. He was gagged. He was dragged back out into court. Just horrendous to watch, but so impactful to know that this is real. This actually happened in real life. How horrendous. And in real life, this lasted, he was gagged for three days, three whole days in a courtroom where he's on trial. Just horrendous that this could happen. Um, when, when they go to see Clark, who's like going to be the, the key star witness for their case, Tom sort of like, you know, you've got to find courage and come and speak on the stand for us. And he's like, um, you know, that sort of, he plays it off. And he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to come and, and you know, uh, stand on the stand and speak. And he's like, to the people that are in the room, arrest me uh, or shut up. And he turns to Tom, he's like, I found some courage. I thought that was really clever. And then the final scene uh, where Tom turns and he finally goes against the judge's orders and reads the 4,752 troops names who were killed in Vietnam since the trial started. Just a really good way to end the film, even if it was a little bit of creative license in that that's not how it happened in the actual case. It was still impactful. Um, what, what didn't I like? I think Jerry having that agent used to, to try and infiltrate him. I don't know. I just didn't feel, I don't know. It felt weird because then we see Jerry and Abby um, confront Schultz, the, the prosecutor, in a park where he's with his kids and you know, has a go at him about using Daphne to break, um, you know, break him out of the line sort of thing. I, you know, Schultz was like, you know, did you engage with her sexually? And he's like, no, we're taking it slow. And that's meant to be humorous, but it was just meh. I didn't, that was the only thing that I didn't really like in this film. All right, what's this film trying to say? Obviously lots, lots and lots of stuff to say, but obviously the, the opposition to the Vietnam War fighting for your values, standing up for what's right, that idea of peace, peace versus violence, what happens when these two come together? Because if peace isn't listened to, then what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to get your message across? Uh, the whole world is watching, and has mentioned many times that idea of the media, being able to actually show what's going on. Um, racism is in this as well. The way that Bobby's treated, he's not allowed to represent himself. He's being held in custody while all the other white people are allowed to be free. Just those, those ideals that are horrible at that time. Um, 
what else? The truth. I think the truth, you know, it can be told. Freedom of speech, but you do have governments tampering. You have intervention. You have sway. You've got politics. You've got police brutality. All these things that go against the truth and 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 freedom of speech and that ability to say what you actually think. So, um, a lot there to be said. What did I take away from this film? I think you know th- this film, and I'm sure I did it last time when I watched it when it first came out too. But that whole idea of there are so many characters that are so interesting in this film. I, I spent so much time after watching this reading more about all of these characters. So I think if you watch the film and you're inter- it's worth the time, jump online and, and look up some of these key people because you know the, the, there's, there's so much to learn about this whole situation. All right, questions, ponderings. Um, the only thing I wanted to sort of ask was like, you know, is this Sasha Baron Cohen in a serious role? Like, I know he's not 100% straight in this character, uh, but, you know, the, the humorous lines, but he's still a very serious character. I like it, but I do like his Borat style, you know, Ali G characters as well. So I just think he's excellent all around. He's such a clever guy and so smart. So I think I just wanted to sort of pump him up a little bit and say he's great. Uh, I'm ready to wrap it up. We give the film a rating out of five. For me, this is, this is such a good film. Uh, it's well-performed. It's well-written. It's just a good courtroom drama. It, it's crazy that a story from 1968 is still so relevant today. Even three years after this was released, it's still relevant. Uh, I know MJ gave this a four uh, out of five when he watched it. I originally gave it a four, out of, four and a half out of five, and I'm sticking with that rating. So that gives us a 4.25 out of five as a Flix Forum average. We're on socials. We've got Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. The question I want to put up there for this episode is, do you like the walk and talk technique used by Sorkin? So Aaron Sorkin's known for having characters walking down corridors, talking to, to progress the plot. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's a, a great technique that he uses um, and just a good way to, to develop the characters and, and progress the dialogue too. So that's it. We're done for Podmus. It's, it's been a journey. It's been a big couple of weeks. I'm exhausted. I know everyone's always exhausted at this time. I think we've, over this year for 2023, we've put out about 90 episodes. So 90 Netflix original films that that we've discussed, we've talked about. It's been a huge year. Thank you to everyone for listening and and spending some time with us over this year. Over the last five years, we've put out an episode every Wednesday, but just to give myself a a week, a good week off, we're going to mix it up. And for 2024 onwards, we're going to put episodes out on a Monday now. So episodes will come out on a Monday. That gives me a week off. That gives me some time to to get my thoughts together and sort of uh, unwind a little bit over the Christmas break and New Year. But we will be back. We will be back for the first week of 2024 with another Netflix original film from 2020. It's the romantic thriller called Rebecca. It's directed by Ben Wheatley and stars Lily James, Arnie Hammer, Kristen Scott Thompson, sorry, Kristen Scott Thomas, Keely Hawes, Ann Dord, and Sam Riley. So if you haven't seen that one, I've, I watched that one when that came out too. So it's another rewatch for me. If you haven't seen it, give it a watch, check it out, and I will see you next week. Thanks, Merry Christmas, and have a great break. <laughs>